to know me. But anyway, welcome to this morning. It's really lovely to have you. This week we are continuing our series on people who had or various encounters with Jesus uh, in the New Testament. And uh, today we are talking about Paul slash Saul. So it's a bit confusing, but we'll get there. Now, I don't know, for some of you in the out there, you might remember 20 years ago or so, a new trend on TV started where people would have a makeover. Okay, my favorite show was Not What Not to Wear with Trini and Susanna. And um, these are two women who had a real eye for style. For those of you who don't remember, bear with me, there is a point. So they would meet someone who preferred, let's say, a more relaxed look and encourage them to change their appearance by uh, what they wore. They would take them shopping, they would show them what styles and colors suited them, and they would make them over. And then at the end of the show, there would be the big reveal, and we'd all be like, oh, it's amazing, what transformations happened, because they got, you know, a new haircut and face and the rest of it. It was lovely. I loved it. I had that book. And um, actually, in some ways, it helped. And when I, um, I lived in South London, actually, at that time as well, there was a real trend of people having their colors done, having their, you know, all this kind of, what do they call it? I can't remember, the image done. It colored me beautiful. Mine wasn't that. I did have it done because I got on the bandwagon. But it did actually change me because it made me think about the colors that I wore. Anyway, we won't get into that now. This, uh, the show didn't expect anyone to change their way of life. They weren't expected to go on a diet. They weren't expected to exercise more or even have surgery, which some makeover shows went along. Um, it just concentrated on changing their appearance by what they wore. And this gave the wearer an increased confidence, and the transformation that took place was largely superficial. Once the PJs were back on, life went back to normal. Um, for today, I guess uh, we could look at Instagram. Instagram is a, a, a great photo sharing platform, but they have so many filters on the cameras now. What you look at is the glorious and the young and the beautiful. A filter can change the way you look. But actually, that again is not real. A lot of it is added to airbrush, whatever. And so uh, I guess that's a, perhaps a more modern day version of it. Anyway, while it was fascinating to watch, that's not the sort of transformation that our Heavenly Father is concerned with. I don't really think he minds what we wear. He's much more interested in the lasting uh, transformation inside, one that brings us closer to him and more like Jesus. It usually starts with our conversion, but he has been known to start even before then. So today I'm going to talk to you about Paul. This may be a familiar story to some of you, but not for all. And before we go any further, I'm just going to pray, because I've realized that I haven't prayed at the beginning of my talk, so bear with me. Lord, as I continue speaking, would you um, uh, open our ears and our hearts to you? Would you speak to each one of us? Would my words be your words, Lord, and would they be your heart for us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Right, I will continue. So Paul was originally called Saul, which is a little bit confusing, but not that unusual for biblical characters. He first appears in the New Testament in the book of Acts, which is the fifth book of the New Testament after the Gospels, at the end of chapter 7. And he looks on as a man named Stephen was the first person to be uh, recorded in the Bible as dying for their Christian faith. 
he was a very Jewish Jew. As he states in the book of Philippians, he was circumcised on the eighth day, as was the custom, into the people of Israel in the tribe of Benjamin, who was the precious 12th son of Israel. He was a self-declared Pharisee, a scholar of the law, which is the Torah, and that's the first five books of the Old Testament. And he was passionate about persecuting Christians. He would have kept the law to its letter, and in Jewish terms, he was faultless. He was so against Christians, he went to the temple to ask for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, which are the Jewish places of worship, in order to take followers of the way, which was Jesus, prisoner, probably and most likely with a view to have them killed. So I'm now going to read this passage in the Bible. It's Acts 9. Bear with me. It's a little bit lengthy. There are Bibles on the tables, but it will come up on the screen. Um, So, yes, I should have primed someone to do this for me, but there we go. Bear with me. I'm going to read it off the screen, actually. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciple in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. 
After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was, really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, and it was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Oh, phew. We got to the end. That's a long passage. Thank you for bearing with me. I'm just going to put that down, actually, because I can't hold it both. There we are. So, once Paul had left Damascus, he actually went to Arabia for three years, if we look in um, Galatians 1 to 18, it says that he, um, look, I don't think I, let me just find that. It says that he went off for three years and learned uh, everything that he needed to know. And he didn't learn from apostles and he didn't learn from any books, but he learned by revelation from God, which is when God reveals stuff to us without any need of books and people around us. He just speaks to our heart, and somehow by the Holy Spirit we just know that's what he's talking about. Now, Paul would have known his scriptures really, really well. He knew the law inside out because he was a Jewish man, and that's how they learned. You know, from the very early age, they would have learned the whole five books of the uh, Old Testament off by heart, and then they would have learned others as well. He would have excellent knowledge of it. And obviously the New Testament hadn't been written by then because Paul actually wrote most of that himself. So he would have spent time praying and listening to God and deepening his relationship with him and allowing God to reveal his love and character to him. Then after three years, he went to Jerusalem and spent a couple of weeks with Peter. And then it says that he didn't return to Jerusalem for another 14 years. In the meantime, he started his missional journeys across the Middle East and Southern Europe. And somewhere around Acts 13, so a number of chapters later, he starts to be called Paul. And the story goes on. So Paul's conversion was very dramatic. He saw this great bright flash of light and heard the audible voice of Jesus. Jesus asks, why do you persecute me? And Saul replies, well, who are you, Lord? And this question suggests that there was a certain amount of authority in that voice because Saul calls him Lord straight away. It is I, Jesus, whom you, it is I, Jesus, whom you persecute, is the reply. At this point, I imagine Paul might be thinking, oh, heck, um, or words to that effect. <clears throat> He's blinded by the flash of light and is plunged into a dark world, suddenly completely reliant on those who he's traveling with. But I wonder what was going through his mind at that point. Meanwhile, the Lord is still at work, preparing the way for Saul's arrival in Damascus. He speaks to Ananias and asks him to receive this Saul from Tarsus. Ananias 
understandably, was a little bit skeptical along the lines of, are you kidding me? He kills people like me. But in an act of obedient sacrifice, he agrees to trust the Lord and have him and uh, do what the Lord has asked of him. And the Lord reveals his heart for Paul to Ananias. When he says, you know, this is my chosen instrument to teach the Gentiles and the Jewish people. So by the time Saul arrives, three days later after he encounters Jesus, the transformation has begun. As he meets Ananias, the scales fall from his eyes and he can see. Not only can he see the physical light, but he can also see the divine light and is now walking towards it in the person of Jesus. During his stay, he meets with the disciples and takes himself off to learn the ropes, which he learns by revelation, by hearing directly from God without the use of the books. And this passage that I read, this very long passage, picks out a number of things, but I'm going to look at three. So the first thing is that God can use anyone. We are all created in love. We are designed with a unique set of gifts, and we are given a purpose He chose us before we chose him. He set us apart before we were born, and all the good works he has planned for us were planned in advance. God has a plan, however unlikely it might seem. The second point is that he oversees every aspect of our life. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is continually working, and he doesn't sleep. When Saul was blinded, the Lord was already making plans for his arrival in Damascus. That doesn't mean that we get to sit around and do nothing, actually. We can't just sit there and go, well, the Lord's going to transform me. We actually have to meet him halfway, and we have to be obedient to his calling. But the thing is that he doesn't call the equipped, but he does equip the called. And the third point I've brought is he doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us to do it alone, sorry. He says in the Bible that he will never leave us nor forsake us. If he anoints us for a task, he equips us and he will lead us through it. He took Saul off to teach him all that he needed to know before making his epic missional journeys. And he will do the same for us. He will give us what we need in those times. And therefore, the good news is that if God is for us, then who can be against us? And if we think we've made a mess of things and that we've derailed God's plans for us, think again, we are not that powerful. Not even the devil is that powerful, although he might try. Paul's transformation started with his dramatic conversion. However, transformation usually happens over a long time. Something definitely happened in the immediate moment of his encounter with Jesus. When Jesus shows up, change happens. It can't not. But it was several years before Paul was in the place he needed to be for God to use him. God loves us just as we are. But he loves us way too much to leave us that way. He may need to bend our will to be in line with his before ever real change can take place. And that for us can be quite a painful process. We need to be in a place of obedience for God to use us. 
Sometimes when change happens, it can feel like we're just waiting with no direction. But if you think of a seed, when a seed is planted, it's kind of in warm, dark soil. There's no light. And it, you know, it, if it could think, might feel it's abandoned. But actually, instead of being abandoned, it might just be that we've been planted. So a seed will then, once it's germinated, will sprout and... Um, uh, you know, blossom and bloom and whatever. And actually, it doesn't need much help to do that. In fact, it needs no help from us at all to do that. It's going to do its thing. So maybe uh, if we're feeling a little bit like we're in the dark and we don't know what's happening, it might just be that time of germination. It might be that time before something happens. So have faith. <clears throat> we can all be transformed. In fact, we are all being transformed more into Christ's likeness each and every day. Even when we're reluctant, God is still moving. When he goes for the dramatic, it's because drastic measures are usually needed. Paul was never going to have his mind changing without less than subtle nudging. He was far too proud. And the enormity of the task ahead demanded a surefire, concrete miracle to cement the deal. It doesn't need to be so in your face with us. But one thing is for sure, that when we truly encounter Jesus, our lives are trained. I'm just going to share a moment of personal testimony to this. So um, for those of you who've been in this group a long time, uh, Juliet, who's our lovely vicar's wife, used to run this group. She ran it for a number of years. And then 2017, in the summer, she decided that actually her time had come. Uh, she needed to hand over the ropes, and there was Becky, Ruth, and I. We were a little team, and um, at the time of leaving, I actually went to Jonathan and said, "I don't. I'm not taking Oasis on. I don't think it's right for me. I don't think it's. Um, I don't want it to fail on my watch. I don't think I'll do a good job of it at all." And so we had that conversation. So we led it as a three, and um, that was fine. Later that year, in November, I went on my first trip over to Uganda to uh, teach an empowerment course at a charity over there. And I met God in a really incredible way. And I encountered Jesus. And um, just before we left our two-week trip there, the pastor of that center prayed for each one of us. He is a very humble man. He actually washed our feet and prayed as he felt led. So it wasn't a just praying round in a circle. He prayed for us as the Spirit guided him. And actually prophesied over my life in quite a dramatic way, which made me sit up and think. And um, it really did transform me because by the time I came home, I think my lovely husband Andy was slightly shocked at the change in my confidence that it had soared. And, um, you know, it took me a while to settle down from that trip for lots of reasons. Um, but come January, February the following year, I felt God really, really nudging me. And it became clear that he actually wanted me to take on the leadership of Oasis. So I went to Jonathan and went, I think this is happening. And he said, okay, uh, let's try it. And I'm here four years later still doing it. So it's clearly what God wanted me to do at the moment. And God had to bend my will because I wasn't, I wasn't sure I was up for the job or for taking that responsibility. So God can move mountains. So, you know, be warned. <clears throat> so to finish off then really unlike with Trini and Susanna where only the external was changed 
With Jesus, we are changed from the inside to be molded more like him every single day. It's a lasting, irrevocable change to be more of who he created us to be. Amen. Take a minute to just breathe and think about that, and then we'll go to groups in a minute. Father God, we thank you so much that you are at work in us all the time. We thank you for Jesus and his transforming love. We thank you that it's open to all of us, that you're with us all the time, constantly working to bring us more like you. And we pray, Lord, as we've heard these words, that they would sink deep, that we would come to you, we would pray, and that you would be working with us all the time, Lord. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. It's time to go into small groups. So if you are new here this morning, uh, we were meeting in the welcome group, which is just in this little side area here at the front. Uh, Otherwise, you probably should know which group you're in. Um, Brilliant. Uh, off you go. I have got some questions. I just need to go and pick them up. So if you'd like to gather in your groups, um, that would be great.